What's up and welcome into the lead block. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We're back uh, from a day off, Monday holiday. Well, I guess today is the Monday holiday as we're recording. Yep. So a little a little delayed action for you this week. Uh, big weekend for the NFL, I guess, although the games were kind of boring, I'd say. Um, we'll, we'll get into all of that. And, of course, we're going to talk about Conor McGregor. Um, and a few other things today. My name is Tyler Walters. I'm your host alongside Matthew Anderson. Matthew, how you doing? Doing great on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day. MLK Day. I guess the kids from school get those days off. Yep. That's that's good. I'm done with that. I mean, I'm off because I don't have a job yet. <laughs> but uh, Got a whole bunch of potential. Yeah, I don't appreciate it as much as you do right now. So we'll start with, um, we'll start with the games. Like I said, pretty boring, yeah. both of them. The Tennessee game, uh, the Tennessee Kansas City game, it was, it was fun for like the most of the first half, and then it was just like, all right, well Tennessee's gonna suck, but you get to watch Pat Mahomes beat Pat Mahomes, and that's always it's always cool to watch Pat Mahomes, and then the Green Bay San Francisco game. I mean, Brendan fell asleep in the third quarter. Like, <laughs> it was it was over, like it, it was. Pretty, it was boring the whole time. Like Aaron Rodgers was underwhelming at best, and we'll get to that game. We're going to go back to the Kansas City game here in a second. But final score to that Kansas City game was 35-24 Kansas City. Yeah, and then like Rodgers for the for the second for the late game was like it, we'll we'll save it. We'll save it for when we get into Green Bay and San Francisco. We'll start in Kansas City. Uh, Derrick Henry, nineteen carries, sixty nine yards, one touchdown. We both said. And, I mean, you've said this the last couple of weeks. You said once he needed to get to 175 yeah, yeah. for them to win. Um, I think the stat is that every time he's gotten to 100 yards this season, they've won. Um, I, I knew 100 wasn't going to cut it against the Chiefs. And I like it's going to – I thought it was going to take more. You know, it was going to take like, the kind of performance he's been putting up to beat the Chiefs. Um, and, he, I mean, he 69 yards just wasn't enough. But – like, the blocking, like, against the Chiefs, like, everything was just very, like, average, and they just kind of got beat up front. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't, I mean, like, in the Vikings or liver, or, excuse me, not the Vikings, the Titans, or, like, live or die by the run right now. Like, That's- Tannehill's been good this year, and he was decent in this game, but you, like, they need the run. Yeah, really whenever, like, because if you look at the stats, Ryan Tannehill with 21 for 31 for 209 yards and two touchdowns. But whenever Ryan Tannehill has to throw the ball 31 times, they're probably not going to win the game. They won, like, maybe, like, I would say about 27 carries for uh, Derrick Henry, probably somewhere around 150, 60 yards, and that's kind of how their offense kind of works. Win, yeah, yeah. And also, at first, though, whenever they took the lead, I think they were up at one point about 10 points. 10 points, I think yeah. they were up like that twice. I was like, okay, what's going to happen here? But after watching Kansas City play the Texans, there's never, they're never really down enough. They can always score points, and that's what they did here. Yeah, so they spotted the Texans last week. Yeah. 24 points. I mean, I they could have spotted Tennessee 34 and won by one 35, but yeah, they spot Tennessee 10 points off the top. And I like it's just weird to watch a team do that in back-to-back weeks. I mean, that hasn't really been a recurring theme like all season or anything, but I mean, these two games they play in the playoffs, they haven't scored in the first quarter and they've looked pretty bad, yeah. you know. And then what well, once they get going, like, once Andy Reid kind of figures out, like, the defensive strategy, 
it's like, alright, we can do this, this, and this, and this, and you're good to go, like, Pat Mahomes, just go beat Pat Mahomes and give the ball to Tyreek Hill, or, um, your tight, or your tight ends, Travis Kelsey, or, get, you know, throw up Sammy Watkins, you have plenty of weapons, and just go use them. Yeah, uh, Sammy Watkins finished the day with seven catches for 114 yards and one touchdown. He was the leading receiver. Tyreek Hill had five uh, catches for 67 yards and two touchdowns. And oh no, I thought he had won the running game. But yeah, and then uh, Demarcus Robinson and Travis Kelsey. One thing I also saw, Patrick Mahomes ran the ball a little bit more than what he usually does. That move whenever he was going into the end zone, I guess it was like, what, a 30 On his rushing touchdown? Yeah. Like the little slowdown hesitation. And, I, and then he turned the corner and then decided to cut back in. I was shocked to see it. I thought he was just going to go out of bounds. But Patrick Mahomes, and then also the way he the angles that he could throw the football up. It's kind of amazing on the run, however he needs. He didn't even have to get his, like, foot set. You know, a lot of guys had to do that, be able to make a deep throw. He could just throw it, I guess, probably with the baseball uh, background. But, yeah, just an amazing performance by him. He went 23 for 35 for 294 yards and three touchdowns. A couple of things on Mahomes real quick that you just kind of hit on right there. First off, the run. I watched him talk about the run in his postgame presser. So he said he's going towards the, the white line, going towards out of bounds. He's about to step out. He's like, look, I, we're, I'm about to step out. Like, there's no reason to keep going. Like, got the first down. That's all we needed. Move the chains. And then he and he says, like, well, we have two timeouts. Let me try to turn and take this upfield. For, and I'm sure it's not just Pat Mahomes. I'm not going to sit here and act like it's just Pat Mahomes that can make decisions this fast. Um, because I think to be an NFL quarterback, you, you have to be able to make decisions this fast. For, but for him to be able to recall, like, mid-run as he's about to step out, like, Oh, I have two timeouts. So if we need the clock to stop, like we can just start the clock. I can get an extra three, four yards here, like, and that could help my team. And we're about to score anyway as time's expiring. So let's just keep going. And then he busts through two more defenders at the goal line. The tackling on that play for Tennessee was atrocious, pitiful, and it was for like a lot of the game. They just couldn't. They couldn't tackle. Like the problems that people have been having with Tennessee's offense, Tennessee's defense had that problem themselves. Right. Like they just couldn't tackle, and. But for Mahomes to be able to just be like, you know what, going out, boom, nope, we got two timeouts, make a little move, get upfield, bust two tackles at like the, what, three, four-yard line there, and, and get in, it, it's crazy. And Mahomes has just been incredible to watch since he's been in the NFL. Him and Andy Reid are a perfect match. He has a lot of weapons, but not only does he, like a lot of guys have, I, like it's tough to say NFL guys don't have weapons. So, like, yeah, granted, some quarterbacks don't have the weapons other quarterbacks have. But you're all playing with NFL talent. And if you know how to use that, like that that's the difference to me between a really good quarterback and a great quarterback is when you can get everything out of your your talent and you can get people to say that you're not talented, it's just your talent. That I think that proves quarterbacks points for them. I think that's a lot of the criticism on Mahomes is that he's set up for success. Well, yeah, I mean that's what you want your that's what you want to do for your quarter, franchise quarterback. You yeah. want to get him an O line. And you want to get him weapons that he can throw to and use. But Mahomes' ability to be able to use his weapons and then also showcase, like, mix that in with his own athleticism just sets him apart from the rest of the league. Yeah, nobody's really. Yeah, as a matter of fact, a lot of people talk about the dominant AFC quarterbacks coming up. Obviously, you have Deshaun Watson, you have Patrick McHolmes, and you have, uh, oh my gosh, Lamar Jackson. But Patrick McHolmes right now is the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, Mahomes is. He's got, like, Lamar still has a lot of room to grow, and Patrick Mahomes does too. Lamar's still got a lot of game to, 
ground to gain as far as understanding the NFL like game, just game to game and keeping going, and that just comes with experience. Um, it, he, Pat Mahomes had the like the the luxury of sitting behind Alex Smith, you know, one of the NFL's like longest standing quarterback. Alex Smith has had a long career in the NFL. Yeah. Um, when you when you're able to sit behind a veteran like that, like your your experience just is multiplied by so much, and and then you know like Joe Flacco isn't necessarily the ideal quarterback to sit behind. Yeah. For Lamar, and he's so different from Lamar, which I think that makes it tougher for Lamar to be able to stand out, is because he's so different than other like. Obviously, the only other comparison is Mike Vick, but Mike Vick's not in the league for him to sit behind. Like, and and that's still only one guy. Like, you're so different than everything else. It that growth gap, I think, is going to be a little bit longer. But he's already so good, and once that catches up, like this is, I'm hoping that for the next ten years, we're going to see AFC Championship or divisional round uh, games year after year. Pat Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson. That's going to be incredible to watch. Yeah. Also, one can say that out of the three, um, Patrick Mahomes' game coming out of college was the most dependent upon, upon his arm. Meanwhile, yeah, Deshaun and sure. both Lamar, we like to run the ball a lot, so that's probably the easier transition to the NFL. I know one of the big things with coming out of college for Patrick was that his footwork was kind of sloppy because he kind of depended yeah. upon his arms. But whenever you can make uh, plays on the move like he can, it kind of works for you sometimes. Yeah, I mean, like his his – Footwork, like, it's footwork is you get nitpicky on that. Like when you have to search for something like that hard to get on a quarterback, like that's so nitpicky. Like his footwork isn't great, but if it's if it's an like it's not holding him back at all. Clearly, I mean he won the MVP last year. Uh, he's probably not going to win it this year because I, it's going to be Lamar Jackson. Right. He deserves it. Um, but like you, you're going to go to the Super Bowl. It's not holding him back at all. He's still athletic enough to make those plays. I'm mean, going back to like comparing those three quarterbacks. Watson's just missing. Like you, he's got an immense amount of talent. He's just missing an offensive line. Yeah. Like, and that's just it sucks to watch him play. And you have to think like he's already been hurt, and if you can't protect him, we're gonna watch one of the greatest talents to come out of college football and go to the NFL and be raw talent and, like, the smarts and the ability, the mental capacity to be an NFL quarterback and to not only be an NFL quarterback but a division, like a perennial powerhouse in your division type style quarterback. But doing that without an offensive line is going to be impossible. And I think that's where the Texans have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I agree with that because otherwise you're going to have another Andrew Luck situation. I mean, he'll give you some great years, but when it comes down to it, it's like how long will he even be able to uh, stay in the league just because of the injuries and stuff and how long they'll take a toll. Because as you can see with the Luke Kuechly situation, guys are not necessarily – well, one can say quarterbacks are a little bit differently, but guys that are getting hit a lot are not staying in the league quite as long because they get these huge contracts and they have other things in life they want to do. So yeah. you just get the most out of it in your prime. For sure. And, and, I mean, Luck's a little different because Luck did have an offensive line and he just got a lot of – like weird, un like, no, no pun intended. Like unlucky injuries. Yeah. Like he just, it just things happen weird, and and you know you have to miss a season with the neck or whatever, and, and then which is what is does Indianapolis have like a neck problem? Because remember Peyton had a bunch of like yeah. neck problem, like spinal problems in, in Indy too. It's weird. Uh, yeah, I mean if you're a quarterback and you don't want to have neck problems, Kobe Bissett like 
needs to be walking around in a neck brace. <laughs> so, um, which, I mean, I've said this before. I like Jacoby Brissett is is the quarterback I want in the NFL to just be unreal. <laughs> I, I I love Jacoby Brissett, but um, yeah, it's different for for Watson because it, it, the Colts made a decision to draft guys like Quentin Nelson and other offensive line talent to try to protect him, and their weapons weren't as good as what Watson has now. But I think a good quarterback like is going to make the best out of any receivers if you get him an offensive line and protection. Like that's a, There's a big difference there. Like Luck can make it work with T.Y. Hilton uh, and some of the other like guys that he had, Eric Ebron, um, and, and those aren't like how T.Y. Hilton is. Like, and Eric Ebron's almost there, but compared to the rest of the league and tight ends, like not really. Um, and, and but the Texans have a lot of those outside weapons, but they don't have the core strength to give the shot Watson. And I would prioritize that far more over having receivers. Like you can find any receiver with NFL talent, and Deshaun Watson can make them really good. But it's hard. You like a quarterback can't make his offensive line better. Like that's the one thing they can't control. Yeah, and by trying to do that, you end up trying to escape the pocket and run around. That's when you take the huge hits. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens there. Also, if Patrick Mahomes, between him and Deshaun Watson, who gets their contract first because they'll set the market. So I'm looking forward because I think they're up for They're both up for the extensions this yep. year. So he sets the market. And so if I'm, uh, what's the guy? If I am Dak Prescott, I'm, I'm waiting, trying to get my contract after those guys because then once they keep resetting Dude, the market. I was thinking about this last night. Like, as I'm watching the Green Bay game and, and the 49ers game, there was a moment in, like, the third or fourth quarter where you're watching Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Garoppolo, who had, like, who was whatever for quarterbacks, right? And whatever class of quarterback you want to put them in. But when's the last time, like, the every year we're going to hear about the Cowboys and, until the end of time? Are they, like, a legitimate are they a legitimate team to be in the NFC championship? Like, out of their division, sure, but the Giants are terrible. The Redskins are terrible. I mean, like, they don't – and the Eagles were Super Bowl champs two years ago, right? That's two – this will be – all right, so this will be the third Super Bowl, however years work. Um, but – and the Eagles were Super Bowl champs two years ago, but now they're not – like, they're not that. And Carson Wentz had a great season when you go back and you look at the things he did – with everyone hurt, but are the like the Cowboys ever gonna be like what they were? I think not. And I just get to the point where like I'm tired of hearing about the Cowboys because I don't see them in the foreseeable future with the other th- options in the NFC, like the Packers or the 49ers who are young. I mean, the Packers are gonna have to find a new quarterback pretty soon. Um, I, I mean, you can go on Rodgers for another few years, but how long is you are you really gonna say you have Rodgers for? Uh, he's getting up there. But then you have the Saints, who also maybe in that same boat with Drew Brees. Um, and, and then you've got other teams around the NFC, the Vikings, who are going to be much stronger of a force and much more legitimate of a chance to make a Super Bowl than the Cowboys are for years to come. And I'm just, I was just sitting there thinking about how much we talk about the Cowboys for the first eight weeks of the season every year and how little we see them the last two weeks every year. 
Yeah, they're constant underachievers. It's going to be, like you said, the NFC really is rising. And so it's like they're almost missing their prime window here. Like this year would have been, well, maybe not. Actually, I would say maybe last year. Because with the, 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 they have enough talent on the team. It's just getting it put together. So I guess it's going to be to see. They're going to wait and see what Mike McCarthy can do. Hopefully he can put the pieces together because their prime will be closed here very shortly because obviously you have new head coaches coming in. And like maybe if Cam comes back and a lot of other factors there. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with those. That's going to be interesting too with McCarthy down in Dallas to see how he goes from Aaron Rodgers, who is anyone like you or me could coach, and he's yeah. still going to be great. Yeah. To go into Dak Prescott, who I think is going to be great too, but early in your career, you're going to need coaching help. Yeah. Right. Like so, Aaron Rodgers and McCarthy gave him that the first few years he was with Rodgers, but is he going to be able to do the same with Dak and set him up for a career success? Or is that going to squander out early? And also, is Dak really going to get – like, is Jerry going to keep Dak around? I think Jerry likes Dak, but I don't like – with contracts with – you know, when you got a receiver that wants a huge contract, and then you got a running back that wants a huge contract. Now you got a quarterback who obviously is going to want the huge contract because he's a quarterback. Yeah. He's the only guy that touches the ball every play other than the center. Um, like, what, what else are you going to do with, with your money? Like – I'm, Jerry Jones has got the most money in the NFL, so is he just going to keep spending money to buy him a team? Really? What are you going to use your cap money on? And like pouring on with Dak is going to hurt you in other places because you've already like pulled out the wallet for two other superstars. So I like the whole Dallas thing is very interesting to me right now to see how you're going to put that jigsaw puzzle together. And then you throw Mike McCarthy in the mix, and he's... We really don't know what we're going to get out of Mike McCarthy. He had a great team with Green Bay for a long time, but LaFleur's had a really good first season too. So in the next five years, is LaFleur going to maintain the same, not the same level of success. Like, I don't expect him to play the NFC Championship game every year, but like a similar level of success. At one point do we say it was, uh, it's the front office and it's Aaron Rodgers versus it was Mike McCarthy. Yeah. So, like, I just I don't want to buy in on Mike McCarthy yet in Dallas. Um, I, I think he worked for Green Bay for a long time. But is that going to, like, it's it's just I don't expect the Cowboys to be great next season. And I think the bigger point I'm getting at is here, I don't, I'm not looking forward to having to hear about them all offseason and all of August and all of September and all of October until they eventually fall in November and they end up going 8-8. Eight and, eight. <laughs> and probably and maybe even losing a division. You see Jason Garrett is staying in the same uh, division. He'll be uh, the offensive coordinator for the Giants. Yeah, so that's, that'll be – they're making some wild moves. Yeah, in the division. Now, hopefully he uh, helps Daniel Jones to continue to develop. Saquon should be back. I would love to see for Jason Garrett just – smash the Cowboys both times he plays them this year and kind of just rub Jerry's face in it. Yeah. Or if the opposite happened and Jerry rubs his face in it, like it's it's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, it makes the rivalry that much better. Uh, I wanted to see who the Giants get in the draft. I'd really like to see them get a great receiver. Obviously, Odell's gone. Sterling Shepard's good, but i like to see them get the next coming uh, really good receiver. There should be some good ones in the draft. I haven't really taken a look at it yet. Oh, all right. So the one funny thing about this Titans game, um, I knew you would appreciate this. So the backup tackle who caught the touchdown for the Titans was traded for help me out with his first name. He played in Missouri, Green Beckham. Doyle Green Beckham. Doyle Green I Beckham. was just talking about him. Today. Yes, yeah. You, I you, 
I think you mentioned him to me like off yeah. the cuff about a month and a half ago. Yeah. And I was like, man, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Incredible athlete at Missouri. Yeah. Um, who is was Chase Daniel at Missouri at the same time as him? It was whenever they won the they made it to SEC championship. No, Chase Daniel was before. Okay. Okay. So um, I, I'm mixing up timelines there, but yeah, uh, Green Beckham was in the trade for the backup tackle for the Titans, who I. No way I'll remember his name. Yeah. Um, and Twitter just – Schefter quote tweeted a tweet from like five years ago where he tweeted out about the trade and the comment sections like on it, people just ripping like the Titans for making this trade or whatever. And then they get – so they got rid of Green Beckham and they get uh, this backup tackle. Yeah. And we haven't heard from Green Beckham since. But now we got a backup tackle that you traded for him. Catching touchdowns in the AFC Championship game. Making a which big is a pretty play. funny storyline. Yeah, exactly. Made a big play where it counts. So that was definitely a good trade for them. Never, I bet he never expected to catch him a touchdown in the uh, playoff in the uh, AFC Championship game. Yeah, I, I like it. And also, like, offensive line touchdowns is, like, is, is that's Tennessee's thing. Like, yeah. that's such a Tennessee thing. I think they've done it, like, I don't know, I want to say, like, five, six times in the last two or three years. Like, I feel like... Every time I see it, like a big boy touchdowns, it's always the Titans. Yeah, so Titans big boy touchdowns, and you have. I mean, that was just a funny storyline with Beckham and and somehow line, getting himself into the little news. <laughs> like I haven't heard from him in years. Now I was looking around. I don't yeah, think, he's, I think he's probably a free agent. I know he spent some time with the Eagles, but yeah, dude was six foot five or six foot six. It's kind of different. People say different things. Two hundred thirty-seven pounds. Running around a four 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 five, so that is a freak of nature. He was incredible in, at Missouri, and then I just like I com- I completely wiped him out of my memory until you mentioned him, like I said, like a month and a half ago or something. And then I'm sitting there, like since then I haven't thought about him. I didn't look him up or anything after that. And I got like yesterday when I saw the Schefter tweet, um, I, I thought about that and I was like, dang, like I this is I've heard his name twice in the past two months and in the three years. Prior, I haven't heard him a single time. Yeah, so I haven't thought about him a single time probably since he left Missouri. Yeah, so it, it's it was just weird. Um, so Andy Reid, second Super Bowl. When you think about, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. When you think about the coaching tree that Andy Reid has, all the Super Bowls that they've been to have, like, it gets lost that Andy Reid has only been to one. And you would think if you ask me any given day, without just or if you ask any like random football person who fan who knew who Andy Reid was and knew how good he was, like how would you, how many Super Bowls would you guess Andy Reid has been to? You would think he'd have at least like three or four. Three or four appearances, right? Yeah. You know, not three or four wins. Maybe you know at least one win. This is second appearance, right? He lost with the Eagles in 05 to the Patriots. I think that was their third Super Bowl, if I'm correct, because they beat the Panthers and they beat. I don't know, someone else. And, the, and I think the Eagles were number three. Um, it was 01, 03, 05. And, and then, so you go, Andy Reid has never, this is the perfect Super Bowl for Andy Reid because he's going to be able to wear Hawaiian shirts all week <laughs> in, in Miami. Yep. And it's going to be in hot weather. When you look at him the other day, his, his nose is like cherry red. He's bundled up. It was, I think the wind chill, it was nine degrees in Kansas City. Yeah, it was freezing was out there. That's what I think is kind of impressive about uh, Patrick Mahomes having this, so much success. Like, that's a really cold place to play for home games. Like, you know, one thing if a guy had that type of success, being in California or a place like that, but another thing to do in, like, in the inclement weather a lot of times. Yeah, and it's like, 
Kansas City is like sneaky cold. I think if you ask most people who don't live in Kansas City, how cold do you think it is on the average Kansas City like winter day when it's sunny out? Like it was sunny. Like it wasn't like it was gray or anything. Yeah. Sunday. They would say, I don't know, probably 25, 30, like whatever the average is for the the U.S. Um, and it was like, I hear it's cold up there. I'd get on the phone, like, how about, like, what's the weather, Kansas City or Arrowhead Stadium? Nine degrees with wind chill? Ridiculous. <laughs> so, and then Pat Mahomes is just slinging the ball around and, and, like, he's throwing rockets. Yeah. And imagine catching that if you're Watkins or Hill or any of his receivers or Kelsey. It, I mean, Putting a little extra sting on the ball at nine degrees. Most definitely, you ain't gonna catch too many of his receivers not wearing gloves. A little, little different for for them in here in two weeks in Miami, but I mean Andy Reid was was built for a Miami Super Bowl. So I will probably, I mean, we're gonna get into a full Super Bowl preview here in a couple weeks with our with our um, our guy Ian Pizzetti. But yeah, it'll be it's. I'm going to be rooting for the Chiefs probably just for the Andy Reid storyline. And I will hope the Niners win one down the line because I think they're a fun team to watch. Yeah, I'll also be rooting for the Chiefs. I already got $10 on it, so I'm open for bets. Just be one. All right, we got Green Bay, San Francisco. Green Bay made it a little closer in the end than this game really was. So the final score is 20-37, like you said earlier. Uh, Aaron, this is what I was about to say about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers went 31 for 39, 326 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Aaron Rodgers was so, like, I would not have guessed he had 326 yards because he looked so underwhelming the whole day. Like, he, they just could not get anything going on offense. And here is your Aaron Rodgers, and you have constantly been beaten into your head as what, like, Matthew, you're what, 21, 22? Yep, 21. Yeah, so as that, like, same age group for myself, like, everyone who's around that age, it has been beaten into your head for the last 10 or 15 years that Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback talent of all time. All the time. That's all you hear. all you hear. Uh, You got Max Kellerman saying he's the best quarterback of all time. Like, not the greatest, but the best. Yeah. (laughs) And you have, uh, like, what idiot. Um... And you have, like, it, like everyone just preaches Aaron Rodgers. Like, that was the only legitimate counter to Brady in the Brady, who's the GOAT argument before Brady won his fifth, sixth Super Bowl, uh, was, like, who, you know, Aaron Rodgers is so much better than Tom Brady. Is he really? Yeah. Or are you, like, looking at, I mean, I don't know. I kind of like my quarterbacks to win. Yeah. That's kind of the point of the game. And does I mean, doesn't Big Ben have more Super Bowls? Big I'm, Ben's got two, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so what, like, what, and Big Ben gets preached a lot, but not like Aaron Rodgers does. I think a lot of times what happens in the media, too, because, I mean, obviously he's a talented quarterback, but I kind of agree with you there. And then so many people say it, everybody just starts believing it, but it's like, and obviously arm talent and stuff is big in football, but it's like also a lot of things that come into the quarterback position, such as leadership and all those other things. And that's where a lot of these other quarterbacks kind of clearly like go ahead of them. I'd even say maybe not right now, but I feel like Patrick Mahomes have a much better career than I, he does. That's exactly where I was going. If Patrick Mahomes wins the Super Bowl next week, he will be just as successful as Aaron Rodgers has been <laughs> his entire career. Yeah. In in two years. Yeah. So like, I like the constant storyline about Rodgers and the I mean the facts are in the last decade, Rodgers hasn't done crap. Right. Like, when do you see Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl? You don't. Exactly so. No, I completely agree with you. I'd say give it three more years, and he would, uh, Mahomes would have already surpassed, like, the legacy, quote-unquote, of uh, 
Aaron Rodgers. And, and oh, but the two like it's interesting to compare those two because they get compared the most. I think with their on-field play and the way they like, like Aaron Rodgers' talent of being able to throw. Like, I think he's got the most hail mary touchdowns of any quarterback ever. Yeah. Um, and, and his the only other quarterback we you talked about Mahomes' arm arm angles a minute ago. The only other quarterback that's ever been similar with that is Aaron Rodgers, like yeah. that throwing ability, and he's very talented. But like for me, I I don't know, like just like you said with leadership and all those like intangibles in, in quarterbacks and getting a team to win, that makes a good quarterback to me. It's not like you have to play great. But there are a lot of quarterbacks who have played great who can't win. Like there's a difference between someone who is a a winner time after time. And someone who is really, really good, but you, as one once early on, and we crowned them king before they did anything, before they backed it up yeah, any further. I agree. I think that's. A, I think America is in a sense of like an Aaron Rodgers syndrome, um, and, and I don't know. It would be interesting to see what Rodgers thinks of like any of that kind of criticism, or what he thinks of. Uh, the person media and the person and the football player media portrays him to be um like i just i don't think i think what happened is you look at aaron Rodgers, and we're going to get the same talk next year aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks of all time like is he going to lead this team to victory and he will during the regular season but are they going to win another super bowl I i don't think so Nah, i don't think he'll win any anytime soon like i don't look at like i love packers fans uh, the state of Wisconsin sports is awesome, and it, it's just Green Bay is fun to watch because their fans make it so fun to watch. And I think that's a little bit of what we give Aaron Rodgers that hype. When you get a fan base like that who is just like generally people like conceive Wisconsin football fans as being die hard. They all just eat cheese, sausage, and drink beer all day. Like they're like a fun crowd from the outside. And we all kind of wish we were part of that. Like, if you aren't from Green Bay or from the state of Wisconsin or neighboring states and you aren't a part of that, so you hype them up and you hype their players up further than maybe they should be, I think maybe we could be a little more realistic. Because I think, if, you know, the biggest hit on Tony Romo is that he never won a Super Bowl. Well, if he, you know I mean, it's a big if. If he did, would he be remembered the way that Rodgers is? I don't think so. I think a lot of people hate Tony Romo. And a lot of that has to do with him playing for the Cowboys. But, like, people trash him for not winning all the time. I mean, Rodgers is – he's only won once. Yeah. So, it's like – and he hasn't won. What have you done for me lately? So, I, I don't know. You give him – you give the Packers, like, that's just – I think, to me, that's one of the most frustrating things as a fan base is when you see your team win 12, 13 games every year and they go to the playoffs, but they just – they can't do it anymore, but you have one to fall back on, so you can't take crap off of player like fans who have never won, right? But you can't like Eli Manning has won more Super Bowls than Aaron Rodgers against tougher opponents with the Patriots twice. Yeah. So when you beat the Patriots twice, the only 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 quarterback to ever beat the Patriots twice in, in a meaningful game. There you go. And I think Rodgers usually kind of uh, gets away from a lot of criticism because, like you said, because he's won a Super Bowl or something. But at some point in time, fans are going to start getting upset. Like, okay, this has been dope and all. It's been a great run, but it's like we're trying to win Super Bowls. Yeah. Like I say, that window is not – you do not have to, uh, too large of a window in any sport really to be, like, at the top of the thing because the next team, such as San Francisco, is coming through quickly. Here's a little – here's something that kind of 
I don't know, it, it kind of changed my, at an early age, changed my definition of like good and great and what I look for in sport to be just elite and, and to set a difference between good players and great players. Tim In Tim Tebow's first book, his autobiography, uh, that he wrote with someone else. So I don't know how much Tebow wrote it himself. Usually when they throw another writer's name in the book, they tell the stories and the writer writes. Um, but Tebow said, you know, he's talking about in the first book, and I think he's not the only one that has this thought, is that you play to win the game. And when he was in, in, like, in youth football, Pop Warner, people would say, oh, you know, it's like you just come out here to have fun. Like, that's what we're here for. And he said he always thought, like, that's not what we're here for. The only reason we're playing this is to win, right? That's the reason you play the game. And if you aren't winning, then how good are you? Yeah. So at the end of the day, really, it goes back to the old, like, at the end of the day, if you win, you win. If it's a sloppy win, it's a sloppy win. But it's better than a good loss. Like, I'll take a bad <laughs> win any day. In the wise words of Dabo Sweeney, the fun is in the winning. It, yeah, I mean, I was 100% correct. Uh, like, I, I hate a lot of the things Dabo says, <laughs> but then, like, a lot of the things, like, he says like that, like, you're 100% on, like, it, only winning matters. Yeah. We don't remember the team that went 13-0 and and, and lost in the first round, right? You, you remember the only team that we really think of, like that, as I'm recalling that, is the Patriots when they lost to the Giants, is that they were... Almost, almost, almost undefeated, but they couldn't finish it. And that's the only, like, losing team we think of. And if, if you go back in history and you look at, like, name me the Super Bowl loser from four years ago. Like, you, you don't think like that. But you, you can probably name it. the winner. Yeah. It, it's the the winning is what matters. And when Rodgers just, it frustrates me sometimes because I, I do like watching him play. And I love watching him throw the, the bump. I think that's why people appreciate watching Aaron Rodgers, and I think that's why people appreciated watching Brett Favre a lot, because it was just heave the ball downfield. Yeah. And that's fun, exciting brand of football to watch. And Mahomes has got a little bit of that. And Lamar's got a little bit of that, too. Um, not quite as often yet, but when he throws, when Lamar throws the ball, it's 60 yards downfield. Like, that part of football is fun to watch, and it draws you in. But if, like, you got to be able to win with it at yeah. some point for me to crown you king. I, I don't like. Anyway, you're getting older like he is. It's kind of like you only got a couple more years probably before it's about time. They probably should already start looking at maybe projection. Who'll be a quarterback they can take or maybe they trade for. But I mean, he's, he also just looked like a dope on the field yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> he had this like this weird, like, his, he's got a weird quarterback beard right now. His face mask like squishes it up and he looks a little fat around the face. And it's, it, it's he doesn't look like a fierce competitor anymore. He's got like this dull look in his eye. Like, he wants to win, but does he? And I can't tell. And I know he's really good, but it, it just – he didn't ever seem on in that game Sunday. And then when I look at the stat line, like, well, he did throw for 300 yards. And, and one of the pick was pretty meaningless at the end of the game. It was it was a 50-yard bomb, and Richard Sherman ran under caught it. Richard Sherman got burnt earlier yeah. in the game. By, <laughs> that was Devontae Adams, right? Pretty sure. Burnham. Yeah. I mean, and it took until the fourth quarter – for Rodgers to throw at Sherman, burns him one time, and then, I mean, Sherman does get him back late in the game to kind of seal the deal. Shannon Sharp calls those uh, passing yards by Aaron Rodgers empty calories. He said it doesn't matter because at the end of the game, it's like he said you're never two scores of the game, so it's just a bunch of empty calories. Speaking of stats, though, Jimmy Gropp had six uh, – he went six, six for eight. 
for 77 yards. That's crazy. They ran the ball. I don't even know the, the rushing total altogether. But I knew Duno Raheem. How do you say his last name? Mostert. Uh, Mostert. Most at 29 Purdue carries guy. for 220 yards in the NFC Championship game. So this guy deserves a bonus. He was killing it, dude. He was killing it. And he came in for Tevin Coleman, who went, what, six carries, 21 yards, and went out with a shoulder injury pretty early, pretty early on. Yep. Mostert comes in, doesn't miss a beat. And, uh, like, me and Brendan were watching this game yesterday, and he's like, incredible runs. But then they'll show the replay, and I said, like, three or four times, like, the hole that their offensive line is creating, like, it, it's – they were getting so – their second-level blocking was tremendous yesterday in a lot of plays where you look at the gap on the backside on a lot of I know in one touchdown in particular, the backside hole opens up, so Mostert takes that one. But then you look at the next-level blocking, and a linebacker and a safety are both blocked at the next level three or, three or four yards away from the line of scrimmage, and he walks in untouched. Like it's They were dominating up yeah. front, the San Francisco uh, offensive front. And by the time you get to a fourth-quarter or third quarter after you've been dominated all day, if you get beat in the second half in the first three minutes of the first half or the third uh, quarter, like you, you are done as a defense. That is demoralizing. Like you are exhausted, and you've gotten your behinds beat all day. Like it's it's tough to do anything, and it just doesn't stop. It's like physically imposing your will against the other team. And for Green Bay, I'm sure those guys are all ice bathed up today because of this. And I guess they got plenty of time to think about this. Head to wherever vacation they're going because yep. they're going home. All right. So Debo Samuel, um, South Carolina guy. Yep. Got to mention Debo. Debo's been doing very well. He had one one big misstep yesterday, and he kind of tripped up, blows through a safety. Yeah, yeah, saw that. He uh, was in the weight room. I mean, one of Jimmy G's six passes, <laughs> uh, six completions. Um, blows up a guy. Blows up a DB and then just kind of trips. He doesn't never regains his balance. That would have been like a I, I would have been like a 67 yard touchdown. That would have been a sick touchdown. Yeah. Uh, so he goes two carries to 43 yards, two receptions for 46 yards. Yep. So he ends the day with 89 total yards. Pretty good day for Debo. No touchdowns, but I mean most are had all of them I think except for yeah I think no there was a couple other touchdowns in there but um, most was like he killed it. But Debo had a really good explosive day. He had two very big plays. That that pass, and he had one bigger run later in the game, too. Yeah, Debo Sam has really been, like you said, balling out in the league. He's really going to help Brian Edwards and whatever other receivers come out from Carolina in the future because it kind of makes you think, like, okay, these guys know how to come in and play right off the bat. Between him and Alshon. Yeah, for for sure. And, and like, this is the thing. When we were talking about this before the show. You think about a South Carolina team that had this very same Debo Samuel and Hayden Hurst. Uh, among others, on their their team three Smith. or four years ago, and yeah, Shai Smith was. was and he didn't drop beginning any passes his, his freshman year. Yeah, and you think about the disappointment in, in like getting those guys in offensive schemes and positions where they will excel, and the lack of that at the South Carolina level is very <laughs> disheartening for a South Carolina fan when you see all of your talent rise to the next level and perform to the top in the league. I mean, Hayden Hurst hasn't had his full shine yet because Mark Andrews has just been – he took over this year as a receiving tight end. Yep. And we talked about that with, with Ian earlier in the year when we talked about the Ravens. Um, and he was like, yeah, we didn't really expect um, Mark Andrews to be our receiving tight end. We kind of expected to be Hayden Hurst, and Mark Andrews just took over. Because you haven't seen the full extent of Hayden Hurst yet, and not in the NFL. And you saw it a little bit in South Carolina, and you saw a lot of Debo in South Carolina too. But when you watch the success they're having at the next level, it's frustrating 
to see them at, at this level with that same amount of talent not be able to propel their team, the, the coaches not be able to use their talent and scheme around them and propel them to wins. Yeah, because I think the year that I'm remembering, if this is correct, USC almost lost to Louisiana Tech. Yes. And it's like you had that kind of talent, and we're barely like we're waiting on a deep ball at the end of the game where Brian Edwards kind of jumps over the defender to beat Louisiana Tech at home. It's like you got to be able to get more. Who was offense coordinator at that time? That was um, Roper. Yes. All right, where's Roper nowadays? I don't know where Roper is nowadays. Out of here. Could be dead in a ditch somewhere for all I know. Because that's um, unacceptable, but yeah. So hopefully these guys, and this will be Shy Smith last year too, so hopefully he'll be able to take over that receiving core. We'll talk about I don't that. know. Yeah, man, there's a lot of talent. It's just it, it's frustrating to see it <laughs> succeed year after year other places, and it doesn't succeed here. <laughs> I fully intend for Jemias Williams to or uh, for Jemias <laughs> to somehow win the Heisman next year at Georgia State. Like uh, That would not shock me at all. Um, <laughs> talking about South Carolina, though, we do have three three Gamecocks in the Super Bowl. You got Debo, obviously, who we just talked about. Chris Lamont's at Kansas City who got picked up by the Chiefs in early December after the Titans, or not the Titans, the Dolphins dropped him. So he's going back to play in a stadium that he's played in plenty of times this year and made a few plays this season. I know he had a pick in one game, um, had a few big tackles in games. And, uh, I mean, Lamaze hasn't gotten a lot of playing time for the Chiefs, and, and he got an okay amount with the Dolphins. Um, but he'll, so he probably won't play much. But then you, on the other side of that, you have Rashad Fenton also for the Chiefs. Fenton's had a really good last few weeks. I mean, he had a pretty good – since, like, I, I didn't – I forgot. Like, I didn't even realize Fenton was playing on the Chiefs. And because I don't pay attention as much to the NFL as I do in college football. And then I see Fenton pop up in a game, I don't know, maybe week 13 or so. I'm like, oh, Fenton, pretty good play there. And then uh, last week, Fenton's on the field for a lot of their packages, and he was again this week. Jim Nance has it out for Rashad Fenton, and there's no doubt. So I think twice last week he said that Fenton caused a P.I., and it was <laughs> not Fenton. And this week, Jim Nance does the same thing. Like, he's just blaming everything on Rashad Fenton. So if you're Rashad Fenton, Jim Nance's tie, like he usually gives his tie away in the NCAA tournament, you just need to go snatch it off his neck. Like he owes you. Like it's, it's. I mean, I don't know what Nance has got against him, but Tony's getting him correct though. Tony was all over the place in the booth yesterday. Yeah. Him talking to himself. Did you see him like? <laughs> they, so they show the refs are kind of like uh, having a conversation. And what was it? it? Was twelve men on the field, and Tony's immediately like, "That's a flag." There's twelve men on the field. No one calls it, and then. It takes the refs a few minutes. There was like a natural timeout or something, um, maybe an injury or something. And you see the refs kind of gathering uh, right before play gets to begin, and they throw the flag uh, for 12 men on the field, and they're talking about it. And Tony's like commentating like as he's the refs talking to each other. It was ridiculous. There was a uh, – who did it? Oh, Frank Caliendo put up a Twitter video of him doing Tony's voice about it on Twitter. So go, go search Frank Caliendo. Uh, who's like an all-time like sports impersonator? He does the he's fam- I think he's most famous for his John Gruden impersonation. Um, but yeah, it, it's that was just I I love Tony Romo. He's exciting to me. We talked about him possibly getting the biggest contract ever for a color guy uh, last week in, in our last show, and like that kind of stuff is just it's dumb and stupid to watch, but also it's a heck of a lot better than. I don't know, any other guy just sitting there not saying anything. Yeah. He does bring entertainment value. If it's dumb, I mean, it, it's a little dumb, but it gave me something to laugh at during the game. In a game that was 
it was interesting, but not in the second half, really. By that point, the game was pretty much, like, it was pretty much toast. The Chiefs had all the momentum. Yeah, it's pretty much over, yeah. So, Tony Romo, that that's absolutely hilarious. He's going to always provide you a little bit of some entertainment from the booth. Yeah, so, but the biggest thing to take away that is Jim Nance does actually hate Rashad Fenton. Um, I think he has a personal vendetta against him. Uh, Clemson athletes in the Super Bowl, all for Kansas City. Sammy Watkins, Rashawn Breland, and Dorian O'Daniel wanted to mention that as well. Uh, so, 3-3 three and three for both the schools here in South Carolina. I'm pretty sure Bashar Breland, I'm not 100% sure. I know he's from South Carolina. I want to say either from that Charleston area or uh, the Sherrall area. He actually spent some time in the Canadian Football League. He was there back whenever Urban Meyer, I remember when Urban Meyer was an ESPN commentator whenever he For left Florida. Yeah. And so whenever Auburn played Clemson back in 2011, he was um, he was playing at Clemson during that time. And so him and Sammy Watkins were teammates. Dorian O'Daniel, does he get a lot of playtime for the Chiefs? Uh, no, I don't think so. From what I was looking at, not a lot. And, yeah, so uh, Brashad Breland came from the Allendale, South Carolina area. He played at Allendale. Shout out Allendale. How far is that from you? Allendale is probably, oh, I would say an hour and a half, maybe two from Columbia. Okay. Um, I've been to Allendale quite a bit. I did my sophomore year of college at at the University of South Carolina, Sockahatchee, in Allendale. Um, Brashad Breland was probably the only other person in Allendale with me at that time. So it was just me and him and his family. Uh, probably his, his moms or uncles, whatever, teaching me at Sauk. There's no one that lives there. But uh, it's phenomenal you can make it out of a place like that. But, yeah, just a small – it's a great town. It's yeah. it's nice. It's very quiet. But, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of funny. Yeah, Allendale, Fairfax High School. Place is a Shout out ghost town. Oh, it's a ghost town. All right, uh, so we'll move on from that into Richard Sherman. Back to Richard Sherman. I, I know you saw this. You want to talk about the Darrell Rivas thing. Uh, so, what is it? let me pull this up because he starts. Uh, Darrell Rivas kind of starts an argument between the two of them yesterday, right? And it's, or like a, I don't want to say an argument, but like a, a, a Twitter like going back and forth. Darrell Rivas tweets out a picture of his TV, and you got um, Richard Sherman getting on that on that play. We said he got burnt by Devonte Adams. It's that play. And Darrell Reeves says, fear of getting beat in man-to-man coverage. Every snap, every play. The fact that he doesn't travel as a cornerback is lame. Travel meaning he doesn't play both sides of the field. Uh, except except that he says except as in like uh, all of those crayons except that one. Yeah. Rather than like we accept you in our group. So the big, there's a takeaway. Darrell Reeves can't spell. Um Accept the challenge as the best and shut Adams down the entire game. Do it for the game of football. Stop hiding a cover three zone. So, I mean, I saw the Derivas tweet kind of right after he tweeted, and I thought it was pretty funny. But I was like, I, yeah, I mean, I get what he's saying, but, like, this is just so – do they have, like, a – a history of anything between the yeah. two of them that I don't know about? Yeah, so Cromartie okay. was on Undisputed today, and he was saying they had had words before between the two, and then Cromartie had words with Sherman, too, because, you know, for a little while... They Sherman, Sherman talks. Sherman was going at everybody. He, he still does. <laughs> yeah, and he clearly responded to this. My only thing here is, like, obviously, I think Darrell Reeves probably would prefer him do that, just so that, therefore, he could see how he's, like, one-on-one to kind of prove his point. But these guys kind of operate in a scheme. 
Like, yeah. you don't just get – this is the same thing. Sometimes when I play pickup basketball, the dude's like, shoot it, shoot it. Like, I'm not trying to help you win the game. I'm going to do whatever works best for me. So, <laughs> yeah. if the scheme says you run cover three and you have this third, the safety is this third, and you have that third, I'm not going to get man-to-man just to prove myself to you. Like, it makes no sense. Yeah. I, I get it, though. But, yeah, I always have these problems with basketball. It's like, hey, I bet you can't shoot. Shoot it. Shoot it. Oh, you didn't shoot. You're sorry. But it's like, why would I do that if that's not going to help me? Like, you're not trying to give me instructions so that I can win the game. So, yeah, so I, I get the argument, and maybe it's best for football. Just to, but it really is just so, uh, uh, just so that Darrell Reeves wants to see him get exposed, so he can prove himself that he's the best cornerback in football. Yeah, so we got a few comments from from Richard Sherman on this. The first one was, um, I would go in on this. Uh, I would go in on this has been, but I enjoy. I have a Super Bowl to prepare for. Enjoy <laughs> the view from your couch. Your ninth year looked a lot different than this, LMAO. So I mean, he's not wrong at all. But then he goes on. Richard Sherman just keeps piling on. So he points out the same thing I did when I was reading the, the Darrell Reeves thing. He goes, and it's except ACC, uh, ACC EPT. Thought I would give you a lesson while I was here. <laughs> then he goes back. Um, Darrell Reeves says, my ninth year I led the entire league in turnovers, five INTs, and four fumble recoveries. Enjoy the Super Bowl and strap up because this game you will, uh, this game you will have to cover. Richard Sherman quotes him again and says, "I have to cover every game, kid. I get my hands, uh, I get my hands on the football in the playoffs. Something you will never know anything about. <laughs> just like a constant back and forth. But Sherman's clearly got the upper hand, and it just surprised me that like Reeves just kept going at him. Yeah, because I here's the thing about like Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman can be lo- wrong a lot of the times." But he is so much smarter than everyone he argues with on a daily <laughs> basis. You will never be able to put like I I go back like I loved Richard Sherman when he first got in the league, and then when you said he like kind of caused a lot of like stirring the pot a little bit. Like I don't really need to see all that. I just I just kind of like I just like he's a football player and the kind of things you say like after the game and post game comments are funny. But he stirred the pot a lot. Yeah, and, and like the thing he did with Skip. On that was when they were when Skip was still on with Stephen A. First right? Take, right on first take. Yep. And, and he went at Skip for like just being dumb. I get that rubbed me the wrong way about Sherman because I thought of Richard Sherman as like kind of more than that. Like he kind of saw who for he kind of saw people the way they were and put everyone on the like level playing field. But that just like showed his narcissism over and he like beat Skip over the head. And I think the internet kind of took off with it the wrong way. Like, oh, like, look at that. Like, when you shouldn't have really been celebrating. And Skip's an idiot. But, like, for that, like, Richard is a lot smarter than that, I think. And he kind of stooped down to a level that I don't think he had to. But then he comes, like, these kind of things draw me back into Richard Sherman because he's just so much smarter than everyone he's arguing with. And he makes you look like an idiot because you pick a fight with him. He's just going to break your argument down because you're dumb. Yeah. Like, it's just, that's the thing to me that draws Richard Sherman. Like, it, that's what makes his brand of trash talk funny to me is because he won't just trash talk you. He'll make you look stupid. Like, he'll make you make yourself look stupid. Yeah. That's kinda, the thing that is hilarious to me about Richard Sherman. It's kind of interesting because he, like, and he does it quickly, too. Like, most of the time, oh, yeah. a lot of times you get in arguments so you just say something and then you go back a little bit that made no sense. Every single thing, he's going to, like, pull out exactly what you're saying. He's going to turn it against you, use it against you, and you're going to say something stupid like that doesn't even make any sense. I love that. Like, that is, like, that's me, like, every argument I ever get in. Like, I'll just use your words against you. Yeah. Like, it's so, like. Richard Sherman doing that in full time and he's just I don't think he he's just so much smarter than everyone like linguistically and the way he speaks and like how he just I don't know like he actually is a smart person playing football 
Whereas I think a lot of time football players get hyped up to be, or athletes get hyped up to be the smartest person alive. And at the end of the day, there's a really good football player and they're smart about football. Right. Um, Richard Sherman is just like, no, you're a dummy and I'll show the world you're a dummy because I'll just tear apart your, your argument. And I'm, because I'm actually smart. And like, I, that's kind of the way he carries himself, which does run me the wrong way sometimes, but it, it's still funny. Yeah. That Stanford, that Stanford education good to use. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he was, he graduated Stanford with 4 0, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, like, you can't, don't put yourself in that position. Yeah. If you're Darrell Rivas, like, Darrell Rivas was crazy when he was in the league, right? He had the whole Rivas Island thing going on. Was that a Nike commercial he used to do with the Rivas Island? I know his Nike endorsed it, probably. Yeah. I think one. that was, that was like, they did so many of the, the Rivas Island commercials. So, um, like, there was, like, you don't, we don't need to hear from you on your couch in late January when I, going at Richard Sherman. He's, I don't think it was just not a smart move. Unless you just wanted to get your name back out there, and which is the case, Richard Sherman obliged you. So, <laughs> pick your battles. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought that was funny. So, oh, one other thing I want to talk about football before we move on from football. Um, you watch South Carolina's new strength and conditioning coaches, Presser. This week, talk about that. I, I didn't watch it at all, so talk talk about yes, that. Yes, I did. So I was super interested to figure out about this guy. I was waiting for them to do it. His name is Paul Jackson. He does come from Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I guess whenever they hired Lane Kiffin, they gave him the boot. But you, uh, Will Mushroom had already been looking for him. I had already had the inside scoop that he was at. Or was that Ruth Chris? But I didn't have all the details. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So I always go to Ruth Chris if you want the inside scoop. Stay away <laughs> from my people though. But anyway, so uh, one of the bigger things he's big on is his spree. Was his spree training background that really made him attractive to Will Muschamp? Okay. And he's big on a lot of full speed running to where maybe he's not killing the guys as far as how, the many reps of them doing it. But it, well, not the many reps. He's not killing the guys by having all the endurance maybe running, but they're yeah. doing a lot of full speed, uh, full speed training. Therefore, it, like it lightens the soft tissue, so they're not they're not as likely to have quite as many injuries. Like in improving that flexibility, kind of thing. Yeah, and he said something that was really interesting. I feel like I should know this, but he kind of said it to put it together. He was like, "The best way to go ahead and predict who's going to have injuries is seeing their past injuries." I was like, "That makes a lot of sense." So he, he was talking about a lot of things in that in that way. He was talking about how USC is one of the nicest facilities ever seen, which you expect him to say because that's why he came. And also, yeah, also that that and the fact that he just spent like. I think literally a billion dollars building new facilities. Yeah. So. And so yeah, he's enjoying that. He's. I think he said they have three guys already hired. He's got to get two more. Uh, one thing that one of my physical therapists said that was kind of interesting. It's like of all the things that he was talking about, he said we got to make sure we get our hurdles. He said they're going to buy some more hurdles and stuff. That's just like getting back to that, the basics. That is shocking to me that you as a strength and conditioning coach with this facility, like we just. Just mentioned they spent literally a billion. You have to go buy more hurdles. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like you hurdles. Don't, you don't have enough hurdles for your football team. Yeah. Who gets an unlimited budget? Like that is that's a shocker to me. Like with, from the last regime, on the health and wellness standpoint, like that the next guy has to go buy more hurdles. Yeah. Because that's day one in high school football, right? Yeah, that's day because, one. Yeah. Go to the track, do the hurdles, then go run. Yeah, so he said that he's going to purchase more hurdles and pretty much everything else they have there. And then I was talking to an expert. So my physical therapist was saying that one thing that he thought that was super impressive that really kind of said it all was when Laquan Treadwell was at Ole Miss and yes. he depleted his ankle. Love Laquan Treadwell. Yeah, I know, right? I wish he had a better time right now in the league, but he's still developing. I think he's with Vikings, right? He should just go back to Ole Miss. They should yeah. let him go back. <laughs> exactly. But he said, but obviously... 
the physical uh, therapy staff or whatever the case, medical staff helped him nurse that. But by the time he got back, he was better than ever. So he said that tells you pretty much everything you need to know about a strength conditioning coach. So super excited about Paul Jackson to see what he'll be able to do with the team. And I think he's going to do a good, great job. Yeah, I know we talked about it when he got hired, but like the movement towards at the University of South Carolina, towards a more like away from like a beefier, stronger look and more towards a quick, fast, explosive, yeah. flexible, like my body can move in ways yours can't look. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like what, you know, what you were saying that he said during uh, throughout his interview and what I've seen from him um, before. But yeah, I mean, the point of your strength and conditioning coach is to not only to make you, like, I think a lot of people leave off the conditioning yeah. and just put on the strength. And so it's easy to see guys come in freshman year and you look at them sophomore year and they put on 15 pounds and say, oh, like, he looks good. Well, does he look good or, like, is he good? Yeah. So I'd rather you put on eight pounds and be a lot more flexible and find ways to make yourself more explosive than put on 15 and not be able to move like you could 15 pounds ago. A hundred percent. And you can just look at some guys that he's trained, like Evan Ingram, tight end for Ole Miss, and like a 4-4-9 to come yes, by. he's with the Giants now. Yes, you got A.J. Brown, who is the only big receiver I know that big running reverses. He's like 6'5", like 235 pounds running a reverse, like he's a Tavon Austin or something. And then obviously you have Metcalf. That's what funny. To say. A lot of the players around have been uh, asking him, hey, you going to turn me into Metcalf? He's like, you got a Metcalf work ethic? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> probably not. I think only DK, uh, only DK Metcalf has a back half work ethic. Yeah, exactly. So he's trained up some great players. Obviously, What's his big. body fat? It's like dangerously low, it right? Dangerous. It's like, it's like 2% or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's got to the league, and a lot of people thought he was going to be a little bit too more upright. But obviously, no. from his background, he's plenty flexible enough, and Russell Wilson's loved the addition. He's had, he's been, he had an incredible rookie year. I think I think he did a lot more than anyone else expected him to do. I didn't know what to think of him. I was like, all right, well, this dude's like shredded, but is he going to be a good receiver? Yep. I think a lot of people was like, we're like, well, he's just too shredded. Like he's, a, he looks too good to be good. And like, no, he's he's really good at football. And that's the thing I heard. I, maybe it was Will Smith was talking about it. It's like with the media. What, it's Will like, Smith? Huh? Will Smith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll connect the dots. So he was right, saying that. Dots for me. <laughs> he was saying that a lot of times, whenever you get to like the peak and everybody celebrating you, the media will then therefore come in and kind of bring you down. Yeah. So we're oh, all yeah. celebrating. Metcalf is like, oh man, this dude is shredded. Well, that's why he can't run routes. That's why he's not flexible. This, that, and the third. But luckily, he went on to prove himself this season. So we get, we have I feel like we have nothing but excitement. We should be nothing but Wait, Will Smith was it. talking particularly about DK Metcalf? No, he was just Okay, saying, just in general. Okay, yeah, I was like, gonna say all right. Will Smith talking about his new movie and uh Bad Boys ever. He's like, you know, DK Is that with uh Martin Lawrence? Yeah. Is that the new one? Went okay. and saw it, enjoyed it. Oh you you already saw it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. It, that like I don't know, it's it's gonna be an interesting is it's certainly a change. I'm sure the football guys right now are going through hell because not only do you – you're not changing from – it's probably a lot easier for this the guys who are coming in than the guys who have been here yeah. and have to completely change the way they've done things and break their body down and build it back up again versus having a good foundation coming out of high school and then building up. Um, yeah, I can't I – would, I would love to get some of their thought, like the, the – uh, like some of the previous guys who have been here, like like Shai Smith or someone yeah. like that who's, who's, build, who's been used to the way one guy did it and now you've got a completely different. I mean, you cannot change strategy theory more than really what South Carolina has done. This, this is a big move. 
Yeah, and like especially whenever you go from being an upright guy, probably a little bit, uh, how can I be like a little bit tight as far as you can yeah. say, and a guy come to try to loosen you up, you're working a lot of muscles that you probably never worked before, and then so now it's like getting used to working those muscles. Now they're exhausted, but obviously I'm gonna say during spring practice and during the season you'll definitely feel the effects because you won't have quite as many like uh, like maybe tightness and stuff like that because your body's been trained to be more flexible at this point. Yeah, I, I mean spring ball is always hard to watch because you still don't know what the hell you're getting. Yeah. Um, but it will be interesting to see, you know, in spring ball, if guys are getting out of breaks faster or and like comparing their film to pre- like their previous film, like how they're moving around the ball. Like if there's any, any injuries at all, like it's already getting hot in spring ball. Like it's been, I think it's been pretty cool the last couple of years, but if it's a 90 degree day and we're getting a good bit of heat, that'll be interesting to watch because we get a good eye on it before August. Um, but yeah, that'll be something very closely watched in the first four or five, I don't know, like, first half of the season because it's, I mean, it's hot as hell through that first game through at least week six. Yep. And, February. And, go ahead. Go, no, you go. Oh, I was about okay. to say February 29th, I think it's first day of spring ball. So anxiously getting here soon. We really don't have too long, about two months. Yeah. Yeah. About, about, or, what, about month. one month. Yeah. God. It's, it's, we're getting there. So spring ball is coming. Um, it's an awkward time right now. So we'll carry us. I know February, I know February just sucks. Like there's, I mean, the only thing that's kind of heating up really is college basketball, but like, I'm not the biggest basketball guy. February is tough for me, man. Cause you like all the good golf tournaments don't really start until March. So then you have like that run before the masters and then you have uh baseball is still spring training. Spring training is fun for about three days. Yeah. And then as you're like, all right, spring training, these games don't mean anything that this sucks and it's boring. And so you don't get that until, well, you get it now at the end of March. So, like, and, and just there's football's gone. I guess we're going to have the XFL to talk about. So that'll be that'll be different this year. I, the first game is February 8th yeah. with the Commanders in, in D.C. I, don't, I forget who they're playing. Um, but, yeah, I saw Greg McElroy tweet about it right before we walked in. I know he's on the broadcast crew for that. So I'll take one of Greg McElroy. So maybe yeah. he'll just point out all the SEC guys for me, and we can we can stir that pot. So I'm I look forward to the SEC dominating multiple drafts now, and not just the one that they have been dominating. <laughs> and as I told my girl, this is time to go your pumpkin patches and stuff like this. Now that the NFL and stuff is over, because once we get back into college football, we're right back in the swing of things. Yeah, and I'm busy on the weekends. Yeah, I mean college football just takes over. All right, so we're gonna go into into this little piece here. I don't know how much you watch UFC, Matthew, but the king has returned. Yep. <clears throat> Conor McGregor, Saturday night. I think, I mean, Conor was a f- easily favorite in Vegas. Uh, I don't really think too many people thought he was going to lose this fight. I think a lot of people thought there were ways that he could lose. I mean, there's ways you get an octagon with a man and all you're wearing is gloves and underwear. Like, there's always a way you can lose. Yeah. Um, first round, 40 seconds KO or TKO against Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who, which sucked before this fight because. I didn't get as hyped for this Conor fight as I normally get because usually, like, I mean, Conor does more to hype it up because he talks a lot. Um, like, you, like going back to Richard, Richard Turner would be an incredible fighter, like boxer, because <laughs> of the way he talks trash. He would be an incredible fight seller. Um, but, like, Conor didn't talk as much beforehand, and I think that was a lot to do with, like, the respect of his opponent. I mean, Cowboy Cerrone has the most wins all time in UFC history. Uh, I think he passed, I was looking earlier to see when he passed the record. I think like 2018, he passed Anderson Silva. Um, 
But yeah, he's most famously known for his uh, episodes in Always Sunny in Philadelphia, obviously. Uh, Fight Milk didn't work this week. But yeah, is did you watch it? Uh, or did you, have I, you seen it since? Yeah, I've seen it. It didn't last very long from what I understand, but I could tell he had a lot of respect for his opponent. Because I saw right after he like nailed the guy and punched him, dog, dog near unconscious, he went and hugged him. He said, hey, man, great fighter. This, that, and the third. So I could tell like it wasn't just one of these beatdowns. Like yeah, see, like that was that. that was that's different for Connor for me. Because normally like you get that throughout the UFC. Like most, I would say most fights, like right after people walk over and give a hug or like, handshake or whatever and there's a lot of mutual respect because it takes a lot of balls to get in the ring with someone and just have it out like whatever you can do <laughs> for entertainment yeah purposes. it's like don't bite me and don't scratch me but we're gonna throw everything else at each other um connor comes out huge like superman punch off the top on like just and he misses just whiffs completely gets in a clinch with cerrone and just starts throwing his left shoulder into his chin breaks his nose open, blood's pouring, like, immediately. Steps back away from the clench, throws a head kick that <laughs> takes him out. Oh, God. Goes to the ground and kind of finishes the fight from there. It happened so fast, but this is a typical Conor McGregor win. I don't want to say typical in the, as in 40 seconds. But like, if Conor's going to win fights, he's going to knock you out in the first round. Like, that's how he's going to do it. And the longer this fight went on, the longer any fight goes on with Conor, the more likely he has to is to lose. I mean, the only fight that I can recall off the top of my head that he's gone is with, with Diaz where he won late and every other fight that he, that he's going to win. It's, it's quick. Like it happens fast. I think he, he, his fastest fight is 13 seconds, but I saw some comedy made about it on Twitter a few months ago. Um, he was like, yeah, well really it was 12. It just took me a second to get to the middle of the ring. So like, <laughs> or, or something like that. And, and like, that's how he, he's quick. He's coming out fighting. And I was so pumped up. The rest of the fights on the card were, I don't want to say boring because that's tough. Like, it's, UFC fights, like, are what they are. And and a lot of them, like, the crowd was booing the Holly Holm fight before because she was in a clinch the whole time with her opponent. And there was just, like, no real swing in action. And when guys are on the ground, like, that's not as exciting per se. But it's hard to, like, I try not to hate those fights because they are, like, they are exciting in their own way. It's just more of a strategy versus a raw power. Like, and when you're in a position where you know and you're dominating on the ground or you can hold your opponent in a clinch the entire time and you don't need to swing, why would you swing and risk getting yourself knocked out if you're dominating one way of the fight and you know you can easily go back to that? Why would you not stay that way for the whole 15 minutes? Like, the point of the fight is to win. Like we just said with football, you play the game to win. Yeah. You play, uh, well, like, um, the old Herm quote, you play to win the game. So that's what it is. And well, like Connor, his respect for Cowboy, like I said, was different this fight. And like because of probably Cowboy having the most UFC wins of all time and they didn't talk about trash beforehand. And like he's a well-respected guy throughout the sport. But then the next Connor, the next Connor fight. So immediately we turn the page to the next Connor fight. Great fight Saturday night. Fun. Glad it was over early. I was dog tired by the time we get to the Connor fight, and it ended in forty seconds. And I was like, "Awesome!" I got to watch this post game, uh, post or post fight words with Joe Rogan, and I was like, "Sweet, I can go to bed now." <laughs> so thanks, Connor, for being forty seconds. I th- I was thinking, and like I think most people think that his next fight was going to be Jorge Masvidal again at one seventy in in the welterweight division for. 
So Jorge Masvidal doesn't own a belt right now. He's, what, the number three contender in the welterweight division? He's got this, this quote-unquote, like, belt. The uh, And he had the belt on the other night during the fight. The, the baddest mf -er belt. So he, he earned that title when he fought Diaz in November uh, to get the, the baddest mf -er belt. So it's not a real belt. It's just kind of like a name thing going around around UFC and, like, certain guys are going for it, and Masvidal has it right now. And it was between Masvidal and Diaz for a while, and now Masvidal can claim that title because he won that fight. McGregor, for sure, kind of wants that title, and he looked good at 170 the other night. But from what I've seen from Dana White, the few things I've read over the last two days, uh, so Monday, Sunday, this morning, and, and Sunday, is that Dana White does not want to go Connor versus Masvidal he wants straight rematch. I thought they would delay the rematch with Khabib, who I'm not going to try to say his last name. Um, you remember when Conor lost? Well, that was fall 2018, right? He got dominated that whole fight. Couldn't, I remember I was watching it in Jake's in Five Points, and I'm like, what is, like, he's just, he can't do anything. He was completely defeated, uh, and he, it looked terrible. And I thought they were going to build one more fight between Connor and, and the next Khabib fight. But Dana said, Dana, Dana White came out and said, look, they're not fighting for a belt if he fights Masvidal. Both of these guys deserve to fight for a belt. Like, it's not really going to mean anything. Like, I know they want to fight each other, but there's nothing more. And it'll be a great fight, but I can get one fight. And I think a little bit of that is him going... I can get one fight out of Connor and Masvidal, or I can get two fights out of each of them and, and get Masvidal to go for Usman, who holds the welterweight belt right now, and Connor will drop back to 155 and fight Khabib again. So, like, it's... Khabib fights in April in Barclays Center. He fights Tony Ferguson for the, uh, for the lightweight title again. Barclays Center is ironically where... Do you remember when Conor McGregor got in trouble for throwing the dolly yeah. at the bus? Yeah. Well, he did it at the Barclays Center, uh, ironically. Uh, so Khabib's fight is next there, and if Khabib were to win, he would go to 29-0-0. Um, that's in Brooklyn. Yes, and, and then he would fight Conor in, in later in the year. I would assume some July, August, probably. I don't really want to wait that long for a Conor McGregor fight. I've been waiting a year and three months for this one. Yeah. Like I think from the fans' perspective, you want to see it sooner. But would you wait a little bit longer to see the Khabib fight again? I don't think Connor's going to win that fight. I really don't. I love Connor. I mean, I think most people in the UFC or UFC fans, I would say there's a bigger fan base of Connor than of anybody else, yeah. probably ever. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't even watch it. I know Connor McGregor is mad. Everyone knows Connor McGregor, right? Watch his uh, Netflix documentary. Incredible. It Incredible. Is? Yes, it's so good. So Connor started filming that before, before he was anything. I mean, he's literally got table like notes from the IRA, which is the Irish IRS, basically, um, like saying you owe us money on his kitchen counter, and his girlfriend, longtime girlfriend, is the one working and she's making money, and Connor's in the gym all the time, and like I think his cousin or her cousin are, are filming that the whole time. Oh God! All right, early don't, on, don't say it's, more about it. It's incredible. It. It, it's so good, and if you don't. Like, if you're kind of like Matthew and you're like a fringe, like, you're kind of enamored by it, but you don't really watch it, like, but you know who Conor McGregor is and you want to, like, that's a great documentary to kind of show 
who Connor is or was at that time. Now you got to tack on more. Like he went on and lost a huge fight after that, and that doesn't take from what that doesn't take you to Floyd when he fought Floyd. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible fight Saturday, or a really exciting fight. Definitely changed the pace from the rest of the the card under all the other fights before that. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited to see Connor back and and win. Like, in this next fight, this fight was quite kind of quiet. Like I said, whether he fight Masvidal or Khabib is going to be massive, massive talk before the fight. I think Masvidal will be more fun leading up to the fight because I think the UFC is going to crack down on Connor and Khabib because they had the whole debacle last time. Right, remember they were fighting like fans and and all this like things broke out outside of the octagon and they both got suspensions from the Nevada State Gaming Commission. Uh, could be even Connor. Like I just don't. The UFC wants to stay away from that a lot, so I think they would let Masvidal have more fun with Connor. And Jorge Masvidal is that that guy who will talk trash, like as well as Connor. Like they will be able to keep up with each other, and I think that'll be really good. Okay, yes, yeah, so that's definitely something to look out for. I am definitely looking forward to watching this documentary. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Speaking of documentaries, so let's talk about this one real quick as we wrap up here. Uh, Aaron Hernandez documentaries are a three-part series out on Netflix right now. What is it What is it called? Is it called Inside a Criminal or Inside a Murder or something? I don't know. Uh, and they, apparently, A&E is dropping a two-part documentary tonight on them. It's called Killer Inside the Mind of Her- Aaron Hernandez. See, like, whenever stuff like Killer this happens, inside. everybody drops. Some about the same person. Same thing that yeah, happened with the I'm going to have to watch the A&E one. What did you – I know you're not quite done with it yet, but you're two and a half yeah. hours through the three hours or whatever. What have you? What did you think of it so far? The quarterback tight end dynamic in high school is kind of interesting, but then I see somebody on Twitter saying that wasn't accurate. So no, that that wasn't his quarterback. I mean, the important thing to remember with any documentary is that it is a documentary, and believe it or not, like it's made to be entertaining. Yeah. Like if this, I mean, it's this one's hard to say because it was Aaron Hernandez documentary. Like people are gonna watch it, but if this is like a boring documentary, like people aren't gonna watch it yeah like you need it to be it, it is a little bit entertainment so that aspect isn't true from what i've seen like like you said but what else did you i also thought it was interesting with uh, urban meyer like did you hear the part yeah. where he was like we didn't want him to go home because he knew that every time he goes home there'd be trouble yeah i had heard on the boston globe one that he also he was like aaron you can't come back here after like that year whenever he's telling go pro it's like you might as well go pro because you cannot come back here because he, he was in so much trouble um, and also the fact that, you know, like the NFL player pulling up to somebody and shooting into there, you know, for spilling, uh, whatever, a beer, a drink on them. So on them. says the story. Yeah. So. I think it was, did he, did he end up getting convicted for it? Uh, it's in the doc. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember, but yeah, yeah just the did. thought of your No, name, he didn't. He got off of that. The, the because thought. he hired the same lawyer, Jose Baez, that, um, what's the, the lady in Florida who allegedly killed her daughter? Uh, you know the girl I'm talking about. She's like a young white girl, probably one of the biggest court cases of... I probably know. <coughs> you what know who I'm talking about, right? Do you know her name? Casey Anthony. There yeah. you go. Jeez, how do I forget that? Um, <laughs> yeah. He, had the same he hired the same lawyer she had that got her off of that, and he got out of those two. But, I mean, pretty... It's, it's one thing to say, like, he did it, and it's another thing to prove it in a court of law. He didn't get... Convicted for he it. He didn't get convicted for it. Whether he did it, you know, I and mean, then, signs lead where signs lead. And then one of my last thoughts was interesting that 
so the dude that was killed by Aaron or whoever his crew was, he met because of like the family connection of the two sisters and then who she was dating and who he was dating. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so it was his girlfriend's sister's boyfriend. Yeah, it's interesting how they're connected, how they both play one play semi-pro football, one plays in the NFL. There were a lot of similarities that I... He, that was, I, when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's crazy. And also, his girlfriend really, I mean, almost to a fault. And then also right, the lady I, with yeah. cancer... Oh yeah, his cousin. His, his cousin. About it, and she has cancer with two. Well, boys. see, for her, like, I think she, it didn't really matter. Now she had to go to jail for yeah. I think eight months for not testifying against them. And they said it complicated her uh, illness. Yeah, but if you were her, like, do you say, all right, well, I'm probably gonna die anyway. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna go out sticking with, sticking, sticking, with, sticking with them, whether it's for wrong or for right, like. If you believe everything he says, and or even if you know what happened, like, but to me, it was clear, like, so, all right, so, as far as the documentary goes, I think a lot of people uh, around New England area have heard the story enough to, like, not really care that much, but for me, I remember certain things happening, but I don't remember all of the story. Um, it is just insane how he killed two men or allegedly killed two men in a car for spilling a drink on him or whatever and played an entire NFL season yeah without a single question without falling off no one knew yeah no one knew and, and like he kept that together so like that's like the mind of just a serial killer yeah like just a and I like I don't know it was you know what I did hate what? is in one part they tried to, uh, they talked about like the pressures of religion or whatever on Aaron Hernandez because he like wasn't like that or whatever, and he didn't need the extra pressure. They painted that light, and then they throw a Tim Tebow quote in right after that to smear Tim Tebow's name. <laughs> I don't know who the the makers of this documentary are on Netflix, but we don't need you smearing Tim Tebow's <laughs> name as you were you were talking about a murderer. Yeah. We don't need to see him painted like he's some kind of god. What did he, uh, do you remember the quote? I, I don't remember. It was just him, like, praying before a game. They were, like, talking about how, it was someone talking about the pressures of religion on Aaron Hernandez and how that stressed him out or whatever. And, like, maybe he felt like he wasn't worth some, I don't know, whatever. But basically, he talked about how religion was bad for Aaron and people forced him into it. Boom, then you see Tim Tebow, like, so it was clear that the makers of the documentary were like, oh, we're going to push that. They also really pushed the gay thing, which I didn't think had much to do. Maybe it did have a good bit to do with the story, like, but not as much as they pushed it. And some of their interviews were weird. Like they had, I'm not, I don't remember his name, but the the guy that played for the Patriots, Patriots offensive lineman, yeah, who yeah. played at Wisconsin, who was gay, and he thought about uh, committing suicide, and he was struggling with some of his own things, and. But I didn't like they kept kept bringing him back in, but he didn't really offer me any light on the Aaron Hernandez situation. Nah, that's that was almost like a thing in itself. So was it an Aaron Hernandez documentary at that point, or is it a documentary about the pressures that, that uh, gay individuals go under in the NFL? So yeah, they were trying to push that a little bit more than the whole CTE thing, maybe. Yeah, I, so and the CTE thing was crazy. I mean, yeah. like, for him to like, I remember, like I said, I remember like bits and pieces about the stories that were happening, but like I had no clue. That he was like the the biggest case of CT, the most threatening case of CT ever, and someone that young, like 
that's insane. The fact that he played college, I mean, he went to NFL at the age of 20. It's like you got guys like Terrell Suggs who are like, what, like 38? Yes. In the NFL, and he's blocking these guys. And it's like, this, that's okay, it's one thing to be like strength, you know, strength conditioning. That's like grown man strength. Like, also, like, people forget how fast Aaron Hernandez was. Like, yeah, he was moving. He can move. I remember watching him play here in Columbia his last year at Florida, and he is just blowing guys off the line. <laughs> I mean, he had one big play. He had one big play in that game, and he had one that Tebow overthrew. That would have been a sixty or seventy yard touchdown that Tebow overthrew him by two or three yards. Yeah, because Tebow's got a cannon. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was like he would blow guys off the line. I'll never forget uh, Tebow whenever they came and played South Carolina. The the undershirts they had were like the white ones with like these little orange things. I think Florida had done a specific design for the University of uh, Yeah Nike did. Yeah, they did that with a few schools because I remember. I don't think Oregon, Oregon probably had it the year before. Yeah. And I remember Baylor having them with RG3. That was right after that. Like the, the weird like wing things almost. Yeah. That was yeah. so weird. And yeah, they did. It was something pregame. And I, I remember Tim Tebow coming to Columbia. And I was like, Mark, that's the guy. Who knew it never gets I clearly guy. remember the student section yelling, F you, Tebow. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was I, that would not have been me had I been a student here at that time. <laughs> you trying to calm him down? Yeah, I don't. I would have probably worn like a half and a half jersey, like a half Tebow, half uh, Carolina any pick a player, any player, South Carolina jersey. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was like the doc was just weird in a lot of ways. Where I thought they they pushed certain things too much, and then I felt like I kind of wasted about an hour and a half of the three and a half hours I spent watching it. Because there's a lot of stuff that, like, they could have left out that just made it, it – it took away its legitimacy a little yeah. for, for me. Like, its integrity. Yeah. Like, they attack their own integrity a little thing by pushing storylines uh, further than others. What did you think about that, the quarterback's dad? Like, the guy – like, you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't know who they yet. The guy who said uh, – all right, so there's so many – I can't remember any of these people's names. Uh, the guy who was had sexual relations with Aaron Nenez when they were in like high school or whatever. His dad was a Marine or something like that. No, the guy was the big guy that was sitting right beside him. It, it, later in the interview, do you know? You remember what I'm talking I think about? The guy, well, he wasn't a Marine. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I think remember that part. he was like, I can't lie to you. If I would have told you that my uh, son, I was sitting there saying that. Yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. Him. Uh, what do you think of him? People hate him on Twitter. Some of the stuff, like, although it's probably an unpopular edition, it's kind of like, I probably, I don't even want to say that. I don't know. I, haven't, I mean, I have to listen to him again. But did you, like, did you, did he annoy you while you were watching it? Like, I don't the really guy remember himself? him that much. I just remember that one line wherever he said that he was like, I'd be lying to you if I told you that uh, I wanted one of my, I would not mind if my son was uh Oh, yeah, yeah, like he was, that. yeah, he was like. Yeah, I, like, I honestly, I probably would somewhat be the same way. Like, I'm not going to, like, necessarily, like, celebrate it. I mean, if it is what it is, that's what we're going to go with. But I wouldn't celebrate it. But I didn't, re- I don't really remember everything. So. I think, like, that kind of goes with, uh, I see a lot of people hated on him on Twitter. But I thought he was fine. Like, he didn't bother that's me. That's what I was thinking. People, th- people talked about him like he was the worst thing in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw one tweet, which was kind of funny, that was a screenshot of him, and it said, this is the worst man in the Aaron Hernandez documentary, including Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> so that, that was, while well, that cracked me up, like, I just didn't agree. Like, I thought he was fine. Like, I thought he, like, hey, he talked weird and he did a lot of weird noises or whatever. And, and um, but yeah, like, 
I think he did, he added the perspective a little of, for me, how his father really raised him. Like, it wasn't, like, anything bad, but he was telling you the things that other people, he was telling you, yeah, like, Aaron grew up in a family where if, like, his dad found out he was gay, his dad was going to be pissed about it. Like, that's the kind of family he grew up in. There was none of the whole, uh, I feel like a lot of times in America, it's like, oh, but you have to understand this side. Like, it's like, no, this is traditional, old school America. And he told, like, he gave, for me, that guy was able to explain that feeling of how no one else could do that. Yeah. No one else did that in that whole story. No one else said Aaron Hernandez grew up in a family that would not allow you to be gay, but he did. So for me, I thought he was pretty important to the story, far more than some of the other people they had in there. And one can say to understand like what was going through with Aaron Hernandez, you kind of need people to talk about what it was like exactly. around us. Therefore, you kind of put yourself in those shoes. But I think that the, his perspective on a lot of stuff is probably more common than a lot of people want to believe. But we are in America. In America, I want everybody, you know, you have to be accepting of everybody. Yes. But I feel like you go close the door in a lot of houses and you to ask a dad a yes. question. Yes, I, I think that's a common, I think it's a very common, especially where we live yeah. here. Oh, yeah. And I, I like I think in families that are traditionally masculine and like push things like that, or that is a thought in a lot of Americans' minds. And, and like when you, it's not the thought in the media mind. I mean, the media tends to be you know more leaning towards the idea of whatever is acceptable. Like everything's acceptable. Yeah. But I think that guy painted the light that we needed to see was that that is how he was raised, and that that like you can't ignore that fact is that he, I feel like that's what put him under the pressure far more than the NFL did. Like when you don't, if you don't feel safe to be how you are in front of your parents, like the NFL didn't help for sure. I, I felt like that was probably for me, he painted like it was probably harder for Aaron, like with his own dad, even though he died later on in his life, than it would have been in the NFL or anything else. Yeah. I have to agree with you on that one. Yeah. It was, that was just, it, it was, it was wild. But like overall, I thought I would give it like, what would you give it out of, out of 10? Like, or, Letter scale or out of ten, go either one you want. So far, I'd probably say B minus, maybe C plus. I would, I'd probably go C minus. I'd have to see the. There was just too much. Like it was, and the only reason I give it a C minus is because I didn't know a lot of the details of the story. But if I was from New England and I watched that story day by day and I knew all those details, it would probably be like a D minus. Yeah, yeah. So, I just learned a lot of things that I didn't already know. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, that's gonna be. Go watch that if you haven't watched it. but that's going to be it for us. We'd like to say a special thank you to Ben Sound for our music for the show. Um, make sure you're following the show on Twitter and Instagram at the lead underscore block. Make sure you're following Matthew at Matt, the chosen one with the number one. And myself at Tyler Walter CNR. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the show right now on iTunes and you're following on Spotify. Rate five stars. Leave a review for us. We'll appreciate that very much. And we will be back on Friday. This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org.